Hello and welcome to Cane and Rinse Volume 4, Issue 196, where we'll be talking about threes. If you would like to play along with the rest of Cane and Rinse Volume 4, you can join us for these next four issues Halo 4, Odd World, Abe's Odyssey, and we'll also be talking about New and Tasty, Just Cause 2, and GoldenEye 007. And that actually brings us to the end of this current volume. We'll be announcing the games from Volume 5 pretty soon here, but up until then, you can head over to canonrinse.com for the blog and links to our merchandise stall, Facebook, Google+, and YouTube, all of our social media presences. And you should also check out our sister podcast, Sound of Play, where we talk about video game music and occasionally have some pretty cool interviews with composers and musicians and all sorts of neat things happen over there so go check out sound of play it's about uh, 25 issues in at this point i believe and it's been it's been a, a solid and wonderful ride all throughout so check that out and then please subscribe rate and review both of our podcasts on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts from anyways joining me ryan Heyman, in this issue we have james carter hello jay taylor good evening and mr joshua garrity Hello there. That is almost all J names there. Pretty close. Anyways, we're going to be talking about threes. Um, This was developed by Servo. It is a team of three people, uh, the first of which is the designer, Mr. Asher Vollmer, who previously worked on Puzzle Juice in 2012, along with a couple of these other individuals as well. And after threes went on to develop Close Castles, previously called Royals, which is still an upcoming, very simple, kind of controller-based, minimalist, single-screen RTS game that seems kind of interesting and has some interesting uh, changes as as its design cycle has been moving on. The art in threes is by Mr. Greg Woolwind, who previously worked on Solipskier in 2010 with Mike and Greg, a team that he's a part of with Michael Boxletter. It's uh, one of those draw the course for your character to ski on. Uh, He previously did art for a game called Gasketball, also with Mike and Greg, an elaborate and cartoony basketball challenge game for the iOS. It's kind of a function of like horse rules where you have to make a shot and then challenge somebody else to do the same sort of thing. Hundreds, which is another very popular iOS game that Wolwyn built in Flash as a way to teach himself coding, more or less, and originally posted it in 2010 on Newgrounds, uh, he went back and Eric Johnson of Semi-Secret Software poured the game to iOS and it's been a, a massive success since then. He also did Art for Ridiculous Fishing, another very popular iOS game released in 2013 in collaboration with Lambeer. And then after threes, he went on to do Touchtone, which I believe is uh, either released earlier this year or is coming later this year, back with the Mike and Greg team. That is an interesting strategy game in which you will be kind of monitoring phone calls and tracking signals to eliminate spies, and it, it seems very involved. I haven't tried it out, but it's uh, it seems cool. I like the idea. And then the music, which we heard coming into the show, is by Jimmy Hinson, also known as Big Giant Circles, originally an overclocked remix contributor who later became a staff member of the website. And he has contributed to soundtracks for Borderlands 2, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo HD Remix. It's a lot of words in one title. Call of Duty Black Ops 2, Mass Effect 2. He's often on Jack Wall's composition team. There has been an excellent episode of Extra Remix, the uh, spinoff show from the Extra Credits team that tackles uh, or looks at 
a lot of the Overclocked Remix contributors. And it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. It seems like a real nice guy, and he has a very diverse background in uh, the types of music that he's produced in the past. And we'll talk about the soundtrack in this game later, but it is very memorable, to say the least. It'll stick with you. I want to kind of highlight before we get on to Threes itself, Puzzle Juice came out in 2012, which we mentioned a little bit earlier on iOS. It was one of the PAX 10 for that year for the uh, Penny Arcade Expo, one of the 10 games that they thought were particularly interesting and wanted to highlight. Have any of you guys played Puzzle Juice? I haven't, no. Um, no, I hadn't. I did um, I did pull up the, uh, a YouTube video um, that was actually mm-hmm. by Greg Woolwind. Um, he put oh, up a cool. high score video. It looks incredibly taxing to try and keep an eye on everything that's going on. Yeah, multicolored Tetris, but then it produces uh, blocks of letters, and you have to kind of find three and four letter. You can find more than that, but generally it's going to be three and four letter words mm. uh, amongst it. It just, yeah, it looked like two people were doing it as well because it looked like it was one a man's hand on one side and a woman's hand handling kind mm. of the uh, the letters. So maybe that's the way to go. Put it on a tablet and see if one person does one bit of it and the other does, uh, you know, one does the shapes, one does the words, if you like. It's kind of clever, actually. It, it looked in- incredibly difficult to get your head around just watching it, let alone playing it. I can't, can't imagine how tough it is. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I downloaded this in preparation for the show just because I was curious about it. It sounded really interesting. And yeah, it is extremely mentally taxing. It's an absolutely brilliant idea, but it, it feels a little, a little smarter than I was perhaps if I practiced up a bit. But you start off playing a kind of a Tetris-like game where these, uh, these blocks composed of tetrominoes are falling from the top of the screen, and you try to you know, match them up in such a way where you're not leaving a lot of blank spaces. But the, um, each block in the tetromino is colored. I think there are three, three or four colors that uh, each block. I certainly saw three: uh, red, red, green, yellow. Yeah. Right, right. And those colors, you want to form, or you want to match as many of those colors adjacent to the uh, the similarly colored blocks, kind of like a Doctor Mario, or Bejeweled, or or Unify. And when you match three or more of the same color in a row, you can tap that sequence of the um, similarly colored area on your board and they will transform into letters and so to clear the blocks you have to match words from the letters as james described earlier and so really like you're playing kind of like three games all stacked on top of each other the entire threes team worked on this they were known as collaboratory at the time which i I believe they must have changed that because in doing a quick Google search for that studio, there's a ton of other things called collaboratory, so they probably just wanted to come up with something that was a little bit more of their own. Yeah, during the development of that one, there was another similar game called Spell Tower, which came out during its development. I had a similar kind of word-building mechanic, but it, it didn't include the uh, Tetris or Dr. Mario mechanics, but it was, it was similar enough to where people drew perhaps sometimes uncomfortable comparisons, claiming that this one was inspired by, or in some harsher cases, probably accused it of being a bit of a knockoff of Spell Tower, which wasn't the case because they were both in development at the same time. But it's just one of those kind of happenstantial things that happen. And uh, it's kind of funny how, how the legacy of Threes is almost more defined by its for lack of a better term, knockoffs. So yeah, just kind of a foreshadowing as far as that chapter of the story goes. 
But anyways, let's get on to Threes proper. This was released on iOS in February of 2014 and later ported to Android and the Xbox One by Hidden Variable Studios in March and December of 2014, respectively, and finally made it over to the Windows Phone in April of this year, 2015. So when did you guys pick this one up and which platform did you play it on originally? Let's start with Jay. Where'd you start? Um, I picked this up probably quite close to launch or just after it came out because it was um, at the time there was a lot of people I follow on Twitter who were suddenly raving about this threes and I had no idea at this point as to what it was I guess I just I'd, I noticed a few articles coming up where this was in the title so I guess either they were reviewing it at the time and partly just due to the the, the weirdness of the title in itself like what is this so I went onto the iOS store and because um, I'd, I'd, a few months earlier I'd picked up an iPad. I'd always said that these devices are not for gaming. The same with my desktop. I don't use it for games. And I'd said that with my iPad for ages. I'm not going to get this. This isn't for games. This is for other stuff. And threes was the steady decline as to throwing that out of the window altogether, which was <laughs> downloaded it for, I think, about two quid or whatever it came out for. You know, which seems very reasonable considering how much we're used to paying for console games. Two pound thought, well, you know, it's the price of a bag of pasta or something. You know, it's like, why not? And hours of infuriating uh, score chasing, trying to beat my wife's score, which she just constantly just kicked my ass on this game. And uh, yeah, that's really, that's all there is to it. And I still, to this day, keep sort of dropping back into it every now and again because it's just one of those perfect little got... 15 minutes to spare let's see if i can beat my higher score which isn't that much <laughs> and it's surprisingly because like maths mathematics was always my still is my worst subject ever like i was absolutely terrible at maths at school hated it and i haven't much improved over the years either so <laughs> why i why i you know the idea of buying a, a game with numbers um baffled me to begin with all right how about james where'd you start on this one so I know I'd played hundreds before um, this, and I know I didn't get this at launch because it was long enough after launch that the thing that drew me to it, partly, um, aside, well, Sinan Koba tends to flock towards these kind of uh, mobile puzzler uh, games and pop-up scores here and there. So he's he's one factor. Um, I can blame him for at least half of why I played threes. Um, the other half was by the time I picked it up, there were already a lot of stories about the number of clones and the fact that if you search for threes on the the app store, it was actually tough to find the game because there were so many others coming up above it. But for, fortunately enough, I, I, I knew well enough to search for the developer rather than the game and you would find it that way, etc. So... Um, it must have been a couple of months after. I know the ports popped up pretty quickly. At the time, I would have um, had an Android tablet, so I would have at least had to wait until March last year anyway. Um, but it was probably a couple of months after that, I would I would reckon. And yeah, I think it's it's one of those things where I'd kind of... I had played lots of mobile gaming previously, but I kind of moved away from that. And um, games like Hundreds and Threes are not so much... Puzzle Juice, actually, that would be one that I wouldn't classify this as, but ones that you can just pick up for five minutes, start a, a game, and it's kind of instant, you know, uh, gratification. You can just quickly play a game, kill some time, and not have to worry too much. And I liked how simplistic it was um, when people were talking about the fact that there were all these clones. 
um, what came to the fore was that the reason for this was that that threes was deviously addictive and and quite simple uh, and and those two things kind of go together i think in this case since then i have it's the first game that i put on to i've changed my phone and tablet a couple of times since then and it's the first game that i troll through my app history and and upload again as with jay i i bought this without hesitation i didn't need to wait for the free version to be released or anything um happy to pay what was yeah just a couple of quid to um to get the game so right and josh did you pick this up on ios near release um no i i took a while to get around to this game um i ended up getting it on my android uh tablet uh, just hmm. because I think there was a sale on it. I, I don't know. It was already a cheap game to begin with, so I can't imagine it was reduced by that much. But something, I can't remember what, <laughs> triggered me to buy the game. Um, and I think it was mainly because people just hadn't stopped talking about it. And th- that's often you know, a sign that a game is really really worth taking a look at there's plenty of great games that people kind of stop talking about after like a week or two weeks <laughs> after their release but freeze mm-hmm. was just continually part of the the podcast conversation the twitter sphere conversation i i think initially when it first came out and people first started talking about it i looked at screenshots of it and thought is this what it what is this it's just <laughs> it's just a numbers game and that kind of put me off because you know when when I want to play games I want to kind of play either like really mechanically sophisticated games or stuff that's going to take me on you know an experience that only a game yeah. can and um for me like uh, you know the the other game that came out uh that year for um for iOS and Android was Monument Valley so for a long time that that was kind of like the puzzle game for me that year but then i played freeze and i quickly realized its genius which i'm sure we'll get onto later but it it soon became kind of my bus game my tube journey train my um, you know, any kind of public transport or just waiting for public transport game, because it it as as we'll get into, like it's just perfect for you know murdering time. Basically, it's mm-hmm. it's one of those games that you use to uh, you know get rid of um, the useless minutes in your life. I don't remember when I picked up threes originally but i think it was pretty soon after launch and it would have been on the uh on the iphone actually pretty soon after i downloaded it i had some time to play around with it but it just stopped working on my iphone i think i had a pretty powerful i mean the iphone 4 by these you know today's standards is is a little bit behind the behind the times but it should have been able to run threes but for some reason i don't know whether the there was some sort of problem but for months and for the duration of the time that i had that phone i could not launch threes anymore which feels like a strange game to have break on you but that's you know (laughs) for what it was so i actually ended up playing more 2048 instead just because threes wasn't available to me just because of uh you know bugginess or whatever but I did get to uh, spend a quite a, amount of, a good amount of time with it, and it was always one that I would go back to, you know, if I was trying to 
get to sleep at night or whatever. It was just kind of like a calm and contemplative experience. Uh, have any of you played it on the Xbox One? No. Seems like a strange console to launch on since this is yeah. kind of like the ubiquitous like handheld game on you know the most casual mm. of <laughs> handheld games, so to speak. Not something I'd necessarily want to like sit down on my couch and play, although I think it was developed as a way of demonstrating the Xbox One's I don't remember what they were calling it, but it was a function where you could kind of clip this game to the top corner of the screen and then do a split screen on something else, watch TV or something. Oh, the snap version. That's right. Yeah. 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 So I think this was one of the games they were using to push that. But for what it's worth, there is an Xbox One version. It's uh, It looks to be pretty similar to what you'd expect it to be. Some of the visual effects are a little spruced up um, and some of the things just look a bit different, not necessarily better or worse, just kind of different. And so if you've been staring at the same three screen for a long time and you want something a little bit different to, you know, maybe subvert a few of your expectations, then uh, the Xbox One version is out there and it's mostly the same, but there are a couple small differences just in the aesthetics rather than the mechanics. Is it exclusive to the Xbox One? Yep, the Xbox One is the only platform that it ever came to uh, other than the uh, handheld devices. So unfortunately, PlayStation users, you cannot play threes on your TV. One of the things that uh, um, appealed to me and kind of sold me on the game in the first place is a very clever way that they not necessarily demoed the game, but what they showed off the concept by creating a very simple GIF image. And it's, you know, it's like the, uh, like a trailer to a game more than anything, but it's, it just shows the game being played and all the cards swiping together, and it just mm. sells the idea of what the game is and how it works really well. It's a very simple image, and it just it looks very satisfying to play. It's a really clever way to pitch the idea for a game mm. because you know it just it sells that don't want to say kinetic experience, but yeah, it does kind of sell what it mm. feels like to play the game. Yeah, I can imagine if you if you took a video of yourself playing the game, obviously you'd be able to see everything moving around. If you cut out all of my ridiculous thinking time that I waste just between moves, kind of trying out different things, um, I imagine it actually would look re- really quite quick and dynamic as to how if you just piled the moves on top of one another, sort of one, you know, almost like um, the end of a Super Meat Boy level where you mm-hmm. see all of the all the attempts in one, you could kind of see all that happening and um, see all these cards shuffling down towards a corner or uh, a side. I can see why that would uh, would immediately appeal. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the history of threes. There was a 14-month development period on this game, and that's not to say that the game took 14 months to build. Quite famously, they were able to complete a functional prototype within a single night's coding And so the 14-month really came from refining the idea and really pinning down the aesthetic that they wanted for the game. And Asher, the the lead designer, created a blog where he posted, kind of after being (laughs) probably, to his great frustration, accused many times of being a 2048 clone, which again we'll talk about later, (laughs) he basically just posted all of the emails that he and his team had sent amongst themselves during the development of this game to Mm. show you like, no, this is what we've been at for, you know, more than a year now, a year and two months. This is every decision that we made along the way. This is why we made every decision. This is how it all came down. 
And it's it's a really interesting read. It's a very long read. And so, you know, it's really worth just skimming through for the highlights. And, you know, any pictures that keep your attention or they even have, uh, they've posted a number of free downloads of prototypes that they had been working on along the way. And so you can get a sense for how things changed. And it's it's quite fascinating. It feels very authentic. It feels very uh, kind of rough and dirty at times in that like, you know, there's some really hard decisions. There was a little bit of like, you know, clash of ideas every once in a while. For the most part, they get along famously. But it's really interesting to see how each idea came to be fully iterated upon in the final version of the game and which ideas were completely scrapped in the first place. Uh, the very first demo is the one that Asher coded in, in one night. It's, uh, it's available on, uh, uh, on the blog there. And it's a very simple, uh, kind of a green grid on a purple background with numbers that you can combine. And it's a bit strange. It's, it plays quite a bit differently. Uh, when the yeah. cards are combined, they turn from green blocks into white blocks with the uh, the pair of those numbers added together. And then from there, you can combine any white block with any other white block. And so they don't necessarily have to be combinations of or uh, uh, multiples of three to be combined. And so you have all sorts of weird numbers. You can get just combining any pair of numbers as long as they are white blocks. They have walls that you can't push beyond. They have arrows that need to be pushed to the other edge of the board and then pushed off the edge of the board to uh, to clear. There are black dots with numbers in the center that I haven't quite figured out the mechanics of what they represent, but I, I think those are like they eat other blocks and that's kind of how you cash in the white blocks once you've made those into large numbers you have the you have the black dot eat those and that gives you that awards you the points that the the card would have been worth there's a lot going on that you don't see in the final game but also at the same time like there were hints of what the game would eventually become even in this very early state just on the visual side of it, it's kind of interesting when you see literally within a few days the various iterations they've come up with, you know, these very rough prototypes. And, the, and mm. you know, the ones that you can sort of find, you can start to see the shadows of, of what it becomes, you know, in terms of the shapes yeah. they were using and stuff like that. Mm. And it's fascinating to see, like, even the fonts and all that kind of stuff. And you can see how it evolved over time. And it, it, it's always fascinating yeah. to see this kind of stuff and, and have insight into how things develop. Because it, it's just something that, you know, if you have an interest in it, irrespective of whether it's music or film or whatever, you're always interested in seeing the, the behind-the-scenes workings with these things. And, and games are no different. That stuff's really fascinating. Although, like as I said just before we were recording, 570 emails is quite a quite an undertaking <laughs> it's uh mm-hmm. the thing i find fascinating about the way this game has evolved um and there's a really interesting um video on this subject uh by extra credits um they it's a video about oh, i forget the title of the video but the video is about comparing depth versus complexity and it feels like um freeze or at least the early iterations of you know freeze there are a lot of mechanics going on there like a lot of complex systems going on 
But as the game evolved, they just really focused in on, okay, what's this game really about? And the final product, there isn't a lot of mechanics, but there's a lot of depth to the mechanics that are there. Yeah. And um, I, yeah, just seeing that kind of evolution from something that's kind of like, you know, a bit, let's be honest, a bit of a mess. Mm-hmm. And, and there's not really a focus there. And like, why, why is it that you can just combine any old, you know, white blocks with any other white blocks and all of yeah. that stuff? It just feels like they've ha- come up with all these mechanics and they haven't thought about how they could expand upon the, you know, the, the mechanics individually. And then, yeah. you know, to evolve and then, you know, get to the point where, okay, we're just going to scrap everything and just <laughs> focus on the multiples of three and realizing that there's so much depth to be mined from that single mechanic. Yeah, like it, it's really fascinating to see that kind of concept in, you know, in practice here. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think the thing that struck me looking at this is not only that the the visual evolution goes hand in hand with the the mechanical and design evolution, but looking at that first grid, you can see that it's just get something down. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Um, but it seems conceptually that it would be very hard to fail at that version of the game because you can yeah. always just combine two green blocks together to get a white and just keep getting rid of more and more blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, not having played it, I, I don't know if that's actually how it works, but it seems like, yeah, there's ideas there. But as you say, Josh, they haven't necessarily thought through what the end result of all those mechanics interacting together is, which is probably a bit of a never-ending game of number soup, basically. But stripping it back to that one mechanic of you can only combine the same numbers once you get past the one and the two add together to make a three, obviously, means that what they've actually done is strip that back to that one mechanic and then built extra rules around it, the rules being that you can only combine the same numbers, the mechanic just being the pushing of the numbers around to combine. Um, they've actually stripped it back and said, right, we don't need extra mechanics. What we need is one mechanic, and we need to build rules around that that restrict or make more complex that that one mechanic while still keeping this the simplicity of it it's, it's actually really nice to see how they went through these iterations and trying different things before realizing that actually they dialed back on a lot of the stuff and worked out how to tweak what they had to to make it more more successful and more more enjoyable and better at what it, it did um, i think jay's point was really interesting when he talked about the game as well that there's no need for this really to be numbers Mm-hmm. You could do this with colors. It's just you'd then have to teach people what colors combine to give what other colors. I think the numbers puts people off, just like when you say to people, oh, it's it's maths, a lot of people are like, don't want to do maths. And in this, it's like, well, it's it's really basic addition. And actually, you don't need to know that 24 plus 24 is 48, really. You just yeah. need to know that two 24s go together, and then you got 48, and then two right. 48s go together, and so on. You don't actually need to be doing the maths, but I, I get Jay's point that seeing numbers, I mean, it, to look at a screenshot, you think Sudoku, and that yeah, puts yeah. a lot of people on edge, because you think, oh, you know, th- there's an expectation that you're going to have to do some kind of arithmetic or some kind of logic puzzle, and actually what you're doing here, it's it's 
more just kind of basic pattern matching. It's more like um, one of those picture puzzles where they're all sort of chopped up into mm-hmm. individual squares and you've got to move them around. It's almost more like that. Exactly. It's managing yeah. stuff in a space, uh, spatial awareness, really. Yeah, but you saying that now, you saying that now has just made me even more kind of frustrated because I've always assumed my spatial awareness was better than my wife's, <laughs> but now <laughs> clearly it's not. <laughs> And the whole mathem- I'm crap at mathematics is always the excuse <laughs> that I would fall back on as to why she's beaten me, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's you're absolutely right because lacking confidence with with numbers means that anything that involves numbers, you just you yeah. get that reaction to. Um, I've seen it in, in classrooms. You put a sum in front of someone, they just panic, and even though they know how to do it and, and everything, it's just literally it's um, it's that uh, lack of confidence. Um, so. Even though it's not necessarily related to maths, the fact that there's numbers there probably brings that out, to be honest. Um, so it's yeah. interesting to hear you say that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think the, the only reason why these are numbers is simply because you can keep stacking them and stacking yeah. them and we stacking them. We all inherently them. know what stacks together and what they add up to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, you know, if, if this was pictures, you'd run out of like... <laughs> Okay, so we put two dogs together, that makes a bear, and then we put two bears together, that makes a, a whale. What, oh, where do you go from there? Whereas with the numbers, you it's just infinite. You yeah. can keep going yeah, and going yeah, exactly. and going. My example yeah. with colours as well, you could start with primary colours that you know mm-hmm. when you add them together what colour you get, so red and blue yeah. makes purple. But then when you get to purple plus purple, well, that's still just purple, so where do you go with that? You'd have to actually relearn specifically to this game how those combinations work whereas with numbers that's a system we all know and understand even if some of us are less comfortable with it than others so and they did experiment with several visual themes throughout the development process including monsters chess animals soup which is uh i I believe it was you match broccoli with cheese or butter or something and make various (laughs) soups uh, there was a military theme, atomic structures, which is interesting. It's uh, combining atoms and uh, and electrons to make more complex atoms. Um, there were textile patterns and sushi. Uh, there was kind of like a biological uh, idea that they had in their mind, like the splitting and, and joining of cells to create more complex uh, biological life forms. And throughout the design process, they really went back and forth on what they wanted the visual style to say about the game, mm. whether they, you know, this this uh, divide that they had between something scientific, something abstract, and something cute. And what types of audiences would they be drawing in with each of these and what audiences <laughs> would they be repelling with each, each of these ideas, which is an interesting thing to think about when you're, uh, you know, creating such a simple idea that can be, played by everybody but thinking about you know certain design decisions certain aesthetic design decisions especially are going to put off groups of of players from trying this out in the first place i mean that that's got to be a particularly Mm -hmm. interesting aspect of of mobile gaming because whether as with consoles Mm -hmm. maybe times are changing now but there was always it was fairly straightforward to figure out who your audience was within, a, say, a console game. But with the mobile market being as big as it is, and it, you know, pretty much, I mean, it's we're talking in the billions of players rather than sort of, you know, millions, that 
to try and sort of create something that is accommodating to as many people it's got to be a hell of a lot harder to sort of when you're putting your heads together to, 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 to try and come up with something given how monumentally huge that market is yeah yeah definitely and you can see why where the 14 months came from based on reading through some of the um the information on the blog and some of this information you've just read out ryan just because you can see the struggle that they had uh, both mechanically and thematically visually how to present those mechanics you, you can see why they just went back and forth and mm. it wasn't obviously 14 solid months as you said but just struggling to work out what this game was and where it was going to fit how it would how it would fit together basically and really interesting that the solution was to dial it all back and give something that was a clean aesthetic and a, a really sort of uh, dialed back in terms of mechanics and presentation throughout much of production monsters that ate the numerical cards were the core design aspect and in some builds you even played as the monster card pushing around the other cards like physically throughout that whole process it took them a long time before they dropped the monsters entirely they created some fun little shapes and you know just the cards had big monster mouths on them and and very kind of silly designs but they were quite appealing uh the argoyles that were kind of Argyle shaded monsters, the the Mergesters, which was uh, one of the earlier ideas for what they wanted to potentially name this game. And ultimately, they decided to drop that entirely for something that's very simple, very stripped back. After Zach Gage, who was one of the designers on Rid Ridiculous Fishing, Spell Tower, encouraged them to not get hung up on forcing complexity. Uh, they, they had been modeling this on uh, the success of Drop 7, the earlier ios hit that was a you know a very complex and a very deep puzzle game and they wanted something that was complex enough to not put off the more hardcore players and so they they really i think were kind of in a way kind of tripping over aspects of their own ego trying to create something that wouldn't be remembered as just being a super casual easy sit down and play experience when ultimately that's what it became on the surface, but there is a depth to it that just seems to get deeper the more and more you get into it. So I, I think that um, Zach kind of pushed them in the right direction and got them to pursue, I guess, a much more holistic and interesting approach to designing the rest of this game. So this game was very warmly received. It has a 92% on Metacritic and game rankings currently, and Apple named it the best iPhone game of 2014. Let's talk a little bit more in depth about the gameplay and mechanics. Uh, Josh, would you like to talk about how the game works when you boot it up? Okay, so you start out with uh, the numbers one or two kind of scattered across the screen. And the idea is that you have to slide the screen in either, you know, either left to right or up and down to combine these kind of cards that are on the screen. Uh, so one and two go together to form three, but after that, uh, you have to combine numbers that are the same. So three and three go together, six and six go together, 12 and 12, you know, so on and so forth from there. Uh, and yeah, the game basically is about trying to manage the space in which you are given and making sure that you are moving the uh, cards, for lack of a better word, in the right direction so that you don't run out of space. And uh, 
if you do run out of space, it's game over and whatever numbers you have on screen kind of contribute to your total score at the end of the game. That's right. And then the ones and twos, I believe, take away from your score at the end of the game. So you want to have those cleared, if nothing else. Ah, right. Yeah. It has some really nice, very subtle kind of mechanical choices that they've made throughout, including the, I think, pretty revolutionary at the time kind of previewing mechanic that they have is that if you swipe your finger one way and you don't release, then you can see where all the cards move to before you really like lock into having made that choice and so you know there's not a ton on screen all at once but you know maybe if you're looking at one combination you don't you're not necessarily thinking about what how this might affect something on the opposite corner of the board you can see like oh actually this is a really bad idea i'm going to take that back and do something else which i think is a, a really nice touch yeah the one thing they don't let you preview is where the incoming card is going to come in that's you can right. obviously see what the incoming card is, but and and you get to know that the incoming card comes in from the side opposite to the direction you're moving, I guess is the best way to say it. So that's always yeah. the case. And you might be able to suppose or know based on where you're moving, uh, where that card's going to come in. But yeah, it doesn't actually preview that, which is uh, which makes it a little bit more tricky because you're kind of hedging your bets as to where it's going to come in. Sometimes you've got a bit of a 50-50 choice to make. And then if you if it comes in one place, it's going to work great. If it comes in the other, you know, it could well be game over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you get unlucky, the incoming cars that is an interesting mechanic as well because, in my experience, and this might just be me noticing patterns that don't really exist, but it seems to come into the column or row where the most action is happening. But that doesn't always seem to be the case, and so I don't know if there's a hard and fast rule for being able to predict where that card is coming from or coming. Yeah is going to be landing. Yeah, I know what you mean. If, if there's a, a role where you're combining cards, it seems that maybe it'll pop in the end of that. Yeah. I think maybe that's just because um, there's actually, if you're combining cards, there's an extra space being created, if you see what I mean. So mm -hmm. um, maybe that's why it preferentially would fill that space. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, sometimes it seems to confound that particular notion as well. So it's it's, it's really tough sometimes to to take that chance, knowing that it could all kind of end up up in the air. Another aspect about this one, and we'll, we'll talk about this more as we get into some of its clones, which we will be talking about as well, is uh, that cards move just one space at a time instead of going flush against the wall. You, you move the card, and it almost feels a little disappointing when you have like a bunch of things lined up in a row that you can't just combine all of them at once and just, you know, get <laughs> like a, um, you know, you have to make one combination at a time per row or per column, so to speak. That does change the strategy quite a bit when you're going between this and something like 2048. It also means as well, um, just getting one card combination per move, you're mm. not reducing the number of cards on the board because there's always one more coming in. So what you need to try and do is get to the point where you're, you've got cards lined up so that two or more pairs combine right. uh, in one single move if you're trying to create space on the board, which is obviously always the goal to keep as much free space as possible, really. Mm -hmm. Now, there are a number of strategies that people have developed to try to, you know, maximize their scores. Do you guys employ any any uh, strategies in particular? I wish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Um, the corner strategy, which uh, I see you've already made a note of, is something <laughs> that I... Um, I came about naturally, to be to be honest, Definitely. and I'm yeah. kind of 
glad to find out that it's like it's a, a legitimate a st- strategy. A standard standard uh, strategy for uh, freeze players. But yeah, like I just it just seemed make you know it just seemed to make sense to me. Make sure that the the largest numbers are kind of in the corner tucked away mm-hmm. and all the the smaller numbers are you know free to move about you know using that space so you've got you know lots and lots of smaller numbers grouped together and and what have you it just it just seemed to make logical sense yeah. to me and um yeah and ever since discovering that strategy it's just been about kind of perfecting it and learning how to change corners because earlier on mm. i became a bit too loyal to one corner yeah. <laughs> just and that will that will kill you in the end if if you're not careful mm. um uh so you have to kind of learn okay right there's too many cards uh, all over this side of the board as it were i've got to switch corners now and 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 try and get rid of uh, get rid of all these um, problem ones and twos and what have you, mm. but yeah, like I I'm actually when I saw that on the on the podcast notes corner strategy I was like oh, okay you. yeah yeah it's just like <laughs> oh, okay that's good to know I've never had much luck with the corner strategy actually really um, I find that I actually do better if I just and I have more fun. When I'm just kind of randomly, not random, randomly swiping around, although <laughs> that does get you a surprising amount of success, just randomly yeah. swiping. I mean, it won't ever get you your high score, but it'll, you know, you can get by for a, a while, fair yeah. amount for you, which I think, and we'll, we'll come back to this later, but I think that the fact that it's somewhat easy to just kind of stumble upon a relatively decent score. Uh, is very encouraging for new players and it, it kind of goes up in a it, it really does plateau at a certain point in that you can get a very high score you know just by happenstance pretty early on but um you know trying to just push to the next tier of cards when you get a little bit better can be extremely difficult but yeah the corner strategy i've never had a ton of luck with and maybe it's because i haven't really developed that sense of changing corners like Josh was talking about. But um, I, I have a lot of success with the corner strategy when I'm playing 2048 because of uh, some of the differing mechanics in that one. And, you know, I always like having in 2048 the the highest number in the corner and then a, a row of the next highest number and creating yeah. these kind of perfectly parsimonious it's like lining up for the the line block in tetris you want to just get it so that it kind of all cascades (laughs) into the corner yeah that's very satisfying but that's not something (laughs) that i find is as viable in threes uh, especially once Mm. you get pretty uh later into the game yeah it's uh i i have more luck just kind of swiping around and just doing everything on the fly you know, mixing my big cards right in the middle of the course. But again, I'm not like a great threes player. I'm not competitively, you know, worthy of uh, extreme high scores or anything like that. I think you've um, you've hit the nail on the head with uh, something you said there, Ryan, which is you can get quite far with what feels like it's just luck. It, when you start playing the game, I can imagine, uh, especially someone who's just come to this and it's, they don't play a lot of games, they certainly don't play a lot of puzzle games, just pick this up as something to pass the time in the train. I can imagine that feeling that it's almost the luck of the draw. Whichever last card you got yeah. that you you uh, failed out, you know, uh, 
ended the, the game on if you'd just got the right card. You know, it feels almost like it's right. as much luck as anything, which means you don't feel that you're bad at the game. It feels like, well, if I just try again, maybe I'll get the right cards. And then, as you say, that, that gets you so far, but that plateaus quite quickly and you start to realise, no, you actually do have much more of a bearing on this than maybe you feel like at first and you develop those strategies. Um, and yeah, corner strategy is a perfect explanation of, of what I tried to do, uh, which was you've obviously got four directions you can move the cards in. Four directions is too many degrees of freedom for the problem you've got at hand when you're learning the game is is my way of mm. looking at it. What you want to do is cut it down and just remove at least one, if not two directions of movement. Just don't even think about them uh, initially as you're kind of learning to build high scores. So the corner strategy, let's say you're going to the bottom right corner. Um, you obviously combine your first two threes into a six there, and then you start building sixes around it so you can make a 12. And you're only there forever thinking about the down movement and moving to the right because you want to get all of your cards building up to the number that's in that corner. Um, as Josh says, you quickly find that what you end up with is a one in a place that's really not going to help you, and it stops you getting your sixes or 12s or um, 24s into that corner. So you then make the concession of, okay, well, I'll allow myself to move left and right and down, but not up. Um, because if you start moving up, then what you get is ones and twos coming in underneath your highest number. Um, and that highest number quickly just gets surrounded by ones and twos that you can't move to where you need them to be. And yeah, just as Josh says, you you then start to learn, okay, right, when's when's my moment that I need to stick or twist, as it were, um, knowing that you've kind of hemmed yourself into the corner, well, okay, let's open up some space. And what, what you end up doing is the row or column that your highest number is in, you want four in that row or column, depending upon the direction you're going to move, and three everywhere else, so that you can, you've got freedom to move that one card that you need to get out of the corner. Um, and that strategy certainly has worked for me, and it, it doesn't necessarily get you all the way, but yeah, just reducing those um, degrees of freedom, reducing the variables and only concentrating on, say, two or three of the directions just allowed me to focus on building those numbers in the corner to the point of getting what, you know, increasing my, my highest score quite significantly. Now, when you talked about failing out of the game and mentioned that sometimes it feels like it's just kind of the luck of the draw that if mm -hmm. you had gotten, you know, sometimes it, it tells you, well, you'll either get a six or a 12 next. And so, you know, prepare <laughs> for either one. If you had just gotten the other one, then your game would have been set. And you, you, you sound like you phrase that in a way that makes you uh, want to do it again and want oh, to yeah. Yeah, yeah. just give it one more try. And actually, yeah, like, definitely. I have kind of the opposite reaction to that. Really? Like, I feel like it always <laughs> ends in a really unsatisfying way. And <laughs> it, it doesn't necessarily make me want to come back for more because I, I think to myself, like, I worked really hard to get here and then the game did this to me. Like, what do I owe this game? That's the fire to beat, go back and beat it next time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's an interesting concession. It, it feels a lot like bejeweled as well. Like 
Bejeweled, I don't feel like failure in Bejeweled is the fault of the player. I feel like the game just decides, okay, I'm going to be over now. It's like, all right, great. Nothing I could have done to prevent that from happening. So didn't get a high score because the game decided it didn't want to go on long enough for me to get my high score. And I don't quite feel, you know, exactly as um, bitter towards some threes games as I feel towards Bejeweled, but it is a little disheartening to mm. do three or four games and you know just try your hardest and employ all the strategies that you know and just not do very mm. well and then once you get frustrated after that many games just click a new game and just randomly swipe your fingers all over the place and get like the highest score you've gotten all day because that happens sometimes and it's uh, a little infuriating <laughs> <laughs> but it's also kind of neat that that can happen um, all of the cards have little faces on them, and I think that's one of the things that really sets this one apart for me. And they are charming and wonderful. They they make little noises when you combine them together. Sometimes they just uh, say cute little things when they're just sitting there idle, and uh, sometimes when you try to preview in a direction that you can't move in, they'll kind of give you a little, nope, can't do that. <laughs> um, they're just wonderful little and each number has a different personality and as you get to higher and higher numbers the personalities become more and more complex or more and more cartoonishly wacky and (laughs) and it just gives the game so much more personality than it would have had otherwise the faces thing i didn't notice that they had faces till about the sort of third or fourth try on the game and I heard the voices straight away at first I was thinking that's just part of the soundtrack but then I realized it wasn't following the same pattern it was different each time and I was thinking and then and I didn't even realize until like you know a few goes in that they were actually animated as well and you can see them blink and you can and once I clocked that it completely sold the game on me it's (laughs) something as you said it imbues the game with so much character and personality but what i've noticed um i put it on i haven't played it for probably i guess maybe at least a month or so and i put it on today now i know there was an update recently possibly with um the new ios they've actually got to the point where when you get like a 48 um a name plate comes up now giving the, the name of the character and a little brief description of who they are or what they are. <laughs> and this goes up like, you know, 48, uh, uh, 96 came up. And so I guess they've done this with all sort of those sort of particular numbers. I don't know. It's just, it just basically, and, and I, was, I, was, I was impressed by this by on several levels. One, that they were still updating this game to that degree. You know, they were still putting so much work and effort in to, to keep it. You know, they, I know they added... A few months, several months back now, I guess a night mode and stuff like that, which always has always impressed me right from the off. That they, they just they're putting in real heart and soul into this thing right from the beginning. It's pretty funny. Some of the descriptions they have written of these characters, like uh, the three eighty four, is known as Captain Triad. He's a pirate kind of looking fellow. He says conquered the seas without an orange, returned with news of ants as a viable source of vitamin C. <laughs> That's pretty good. That was going to be the one that I mentioned, only because 384 <laughs> is kind of like, bare minimum, right, this game's this this game's going all right if I hear R. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you go on to get a vampire and a, a lion, and I... 
I actually don't know because I've never gotten many of the ones higher than that, <laughs> but um, they do exist potentially. For some people, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the lucky few. Like Jay said, I'm not necessarily attached to individual characters, mm-hmm. but I think what it does is imbue the whole game with just this sense of character. And what you realize, we've been talking about cards, but actually the faces are squeezed onto what is a, a third dimensional side of what is therefore a tile, not a, mm-hmm. a card, because it's right. kind of like the yellow edge is, is the strip on the side. Um, but it reminds me of um, the the podcast on Thomas Was Alone that, um, that Josh did, um, and hear, hearing the discussion there about how you, you take what could have been uh, a relatively straightforward, bare-bones-ish platformer, um, and imbue it with a lot of character just by giving them a character and a voice and um, just a, you get a sense of who they are. And in this game, there's no story to it. There's no, aside from little one sentence sort of snippets of sort of jokey cartoonish uh, characters mm. for them. But there's just a sense that there is more to this game than the the clinical aesthetic that, that it presents and the, the numbers on the, the, the car, the tiles, I should say, it just gives you a sense that there's more to it. And it, as Jay says, it blends in with the soundtrack really nicely. It is the whole game is just punctuated with these little sounds of, you know, nah, or, you know, little encouragements <laughs> or uh, warnings that what you're doing is not going to work, etc. My, my favorite one is, is if you don't do anything for a while, yeah. there'll be a character that will sigh just the <laughs> ah. like, bored. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really sort of teenagerish sigh. Yeah, absolutely. What, what's mm. interesting is that has never. I, I just find that cute. I don't. It doesn't bother me yeah, in the slightest. Yeah. Now, I, I've been, you know, as we were talking about, as I'm, somebody's going to roll their eyes at this, but I'm go- in Metal Gear Solid Five at the moment. If you don't <laughs> do anything, you get these characters start hassling you, like. You know, I, I went to make a cup of tea the other day while I was doing a tutorial and I've got Ocelot saying, close your iDroid, Snake. Close the iDroid. And like three times this guy's <laughs> told me and it's just, and it's infuriating. And to the point where I'm deliberately just waiting to see if he gets to the point where he pulls his gun on me or something. But <laughs> it, it's got to this, the thing with threes is, is it never, ever feels in, in in your face. It never, it's just, there's a level of subtlety with the with with the audio in general that, I've just never, ever gotten bored of hearing it at all <laughs> on any level. And who knows, maybe Telltale will option this one for one of their future adventure games. <laughs> Speaking of these voices and actually the soundtrack as a whole, um, I'll, I'll frequently just pull my phone out while we're, we're sat in the living room, not doing anything in particular, but I'm just you know uh, passing time. And uh, my other half will immediately say, you're playing threes, aren't you? And not not because it's <laughs> annoying or anything, just because the 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 music with those voices in, um, mm-hmm. she'll start imitating them. But ultimately, it's just because it's distracting from whatever work she's doing or whatever. And um, she just asked me to put headphones in because she knows she's gonna just start listening to that over anything <laughs> else, just because it's such <laughs> a nice little punctuation to the music with those voices mm. popping up, and it just. Um, yeah, I guess like with anything, Jay, you were saying it. you thought it was part of the soundtrack until you realized it wasn't a repeating um, pattern. Yeah. And the fact that it, the voices punctuate with your gameplay means that it gives the effect that the soundtrack is always more dynamic than it is because it's obviously just 
the the one track, but um, it gives a it gives each game a unique soundtrack almost. If you see what I mean, I know that sounds silly, but let's talk a little bit about that soundtrack. That that one song that we all know, I'm sure, very well by now. It kind of doubles down on a lot of the attitude that the game has. That this game is intentionally built not to reward kind of the adrenaline or. Uh, hmm. Pavlovian reward centers of our brain like there's no massive chain combos like you'd find in a Candy Quest or a Bejeweled or anything like that. It's very slow, methodical, cool and even the music is more kind of smart and contemplative um, you know, a bit hipster but it's it's you know quite, quite pleasant and quite nice and it just kind of wants you to take your time and uh, it rewards you for being kind of slow and cool about things which is not something you get from a lot of mobile games what do you guys think about that song i i think it's fantastic i i really really love that piece of music um i actually bought the sound i say i bought the soundtrack it is just the one track <laughs> but, but it was available on itunes so i paid the 79 pence or whatever it was at the time and bought that one track and it's seven minutes long although it does loop once and so it's the same thing twice Oh right, it's, well yeah. I, I don't know. I just think it's it, it's really it's interesting. I, I I find it a really it's it's strange how you, when you say about the like the tempo is is important because if it was like a fast track, it would it would agitate you as a player when you're playing stuff. Or if it was yeah. something like say the countdown theme, which builds up and and you know you start getting stressed because you know that it's coming to an end. There's there's none of that, and I find. I do like listen. I do listen to this piece of music a lot. In fact, so much so that I've often contemplated putting it in a, one of our sound of plays. But the problem with it being well, that's not a problem anymore because we can bore whatever. But it, being seven minutes long, it's like I don't want to abridge it in any way. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, maybe I'll have to go in at the end of one of the episodes or something. But I, I have a terrible confession to make in regards to the music <laughs> to this game. Um, now, and I'm going to come off as a massive hypocrite as well, because I have in the past said, I don't understand when people turn off the music to games and, and listen to their own thing. And, and, oh, you know, the sound design and the music is so important to the experience. Why? why? So, yeah, I, I don't listen to music in this game. Well, if you, if you turn the music off, does it turn the voices off as well? Is that all the audio? Is that everything? Um, no, no. Um, I, I tend to keep the sound effects on right. because I find those kind of charming. But um, I, I turn the music off because I, I tend to listen to podcasts while playing this right. this game and, yeah. and what have you. Um, yeah, so yeah, I've been exposed as a massive hypocrite. So all those times when I said, why would you ever turn off the music to games? Yeah, I apologize, people. I'm sorry. But yeah, I, I don't have the connection to this piece of music that um, it seems a lot of people have just because... Most of my, most of my, you know most of the times when I've played this game, I've had like Sean Bell or Andy Hamilton talking in the background <laughs> as I'm swiping these uh, these um, cards together. So, yeah, sorry, I uh, sorry I can't add much to this conversation, but um, that that was my experience of this game. I think it's disgusting your attitude to video game music, Josh. That's unbelievable, <laughs> inexcusable. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I, I I love the music for um, for this, and and I absolutely agree. When I think of uh, sort of puzzle game music, I immediately go to something like um, Tetris music, mm-hmm. um, which does get quicker as the levels get quicker, and that makes perfect sense for that game. But in this case, I, I love that the music is almost just constantly whispering to you, just chill out, relax. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> just carry on, and it's yeah, it doesn't invite you to to you know force yourself into moves or um, put me off it just keeps it's almost hypnotic in that way it's just really relaxing and um, uh, yeah it just goes with the, the game and, and the mood I want to be in when I play it as well as we mentioned previously the music was composed by Jimmy Hinson who's also known as Big Giant Circles and compositionally I think it actually does some pretty interesting things especially for a mobile game is that it has a lot of really it, a lot of the music is very bass-driven, which isn't an instrument that plays well over many phone speakers and is certainly the first instrument to be drowned out when there's background noise of any type. And so to structure a mobile game around a, you know, a bass-driven uh, musical motif is, uh, is a brave and interesting move, although as I've listened to it in uh, settings of various noise levels and had you know, more and more of it drowned out, there are layers of the music that do kind of pierce through the the background noise. And I think that any combination of those instruments is an appealing background noise. And it's almost like you get a different song in the different settings that you play the game in. And it kind of has a slightly different mood in that way, just because the instruments are so it's so disparate uh, uh, tonally from one another that they can break apart depending on what you're layering it on top of uh, environmentally. And I also like when in the, the second or third you know run through the uh, the main motif of the the song, the the voices that kind of come into it and start singing along with the background noise. Like that's that's a really cool effect as well. <laughs> I, I always think that's the cards joining in. Uh, which I'm, I assume is what you're supposed to think, to be honest. But. That'd be funny if they all started singing along, like you, uh, like in the Mario games where the Koopas start dancing. And it was different depending upon what cards you'd got on the board. Yeah, <laughs> that, that'd be that'd be a feat of engineering to do it itself. So. Going back to the cards, actually, one of my favorite just small touches in the game that actually has uh, mechanical consequences is that. If there are two of the same card next to each other, they start like looking at each other. And, you know, and even if they're, you know, up and down uh, on top of each other. And that's just a, such a little, like, sometimes I've noticed cards looking at each other and I wouldn't have <laughs> seen them ne- um, next to each other side by side just because I was looking at other things. And it kind of cues me into, oh, yeah, there's a move here. But, uh, yeah, it's just a really interesting, it gives it more character as if they, you know, want to be with their other half, so to speak. And uh, it's a really nice little touch. I suppose we should start talking about the, <laughs> I want to say the fallout of uh, this game's release, um, the the cloning situation. Since Greg Woland, the artist for this game, had previously worked on ridiculous fishing he was no stranger to being involved in this kind of clone war situation and um it was very very quick that people started cloning threes and um it it turned into a little bit of a a debacle that almost outshone Mm. 
the game itself as, you know, this game's legacy. Like, this became what it was known for for a long time. Uh, the first of which, uh, it was a free browser-based version of the game, and it was given the blessing of the original designers of the game, I don't know, as maybe a demo, or maybe it was just a uh, some way of sidestepping the cost, but I guess they felt like it wasn't... Um, interfering with their sales on the mobile devices yeah it wasn't a direct threat to them but uh there was a game pretty soon after called fives on android that was a very similar type of idea to threes just kind of focusing mm. on multiples of five instead and uh, that came to android before threes was ported to android and so people who That's had really ios mm. buddies who were ranting and raving about threes now had the opportunity to hop on and and you know, engage with this craze. And that's the point at which it started feeling a little bit more malicious. Like the threes designers were kind of not happy with things at that point. Went even further from there with the game uh, 1024 on the iOS with the tagline, the, the sales tagline, no need to pay for threes, which is perhaps not the best way to be pitching yeah. your game but it, it's remarkably similar it, it's developed in china and somewhat poorly translated into english and the game looks almost identical uh, the colors are a bit different which is a bit weird once you've been playing threes for a while mm -hmm. and go over to this one and just see the small small differences that they've made even the music is somewhat similar uh, this one does have a few mechanical differences it it features the swipe in one direction and cards will you know, go as far as they have room to go. Uh, you know, you can swipe one from the right to the left side of the screen if there's nothing that'll get in its way. Um, mechanic that players of 2048 will be familiar with. And there are uh, stones that are unmovable obstacles. And the designers of threes hypothesize that the uh, the swiping until cards are flush with the wall mechanic makes the game easier. And so they had to introduce stones to give it some sort of challenge. Mm. And we'll see later on when we talk about that, that 2048 did away with those stones and became kind of the ultimate just easy threes experience. Um, so, you know, whether or not those stones were the right choice. Uh, the cards also don't necessarily appear at the edge of the board. They'll appear anywhere on the board. And... Um, the cards have voices, faces, numbers, and uh, even hats. And so it iterated on, or it was a copy of threes, a very um, unapologetically in a way that was kind of unmistakable. And Asher, the designer of threes, calls it not very fun. Did any of you guys play uh, 1024? Um, so in, in my case, um, the reason I basically was was brought to threes was by hearing people talk about the number of clones of the game and having been somewhat caught um, and, and embarrassed to have thought uh, regarding Explosion Man and Explodemon and I think Mr. Explode was the other one, having basically thought the the wrong one of those was the original and uh, and and mentioned it and been called out by the developer of, uh, of uh, the original one of those. Um, I, I kind of felt it was on me to make sure that I, you know, knew which one of these was the original game and, and went to that one. And if the others weren't doing anything necessarily all that different, why should I want to go and play them? Um, 
just looking at it now, it's never occurred to me before. I've never actually thought of it, and you can probably answer this. Fives make sense because you can have a two and a three card come onto the board and combine them, and then you're just multiples of five instead of multiples of three, and it doesn't really make any difference mechanically. Um, but 1024 and 2048 are not numbers that will come up in threes because they're both powers of two rather than three. And and if you're combining a one and a one, then that makes the game incredibly easy. I assume that's not the case. You know, combine two one cards to make a two, and then from then on you just combine the two cards and so on. Um, so I'm, I'm not entirely sure how these games work in that case, having never played them. Uh, not that it's necessarily important, but it just seems interesting that they, they both chose numbers that weren't uh, relevant in, in the game of threes. And that is more or less how these games work, is that you're combining from the off, you know, you're combining numbers that are the same number and okay, um, so, yeah, yeah. you don't have that Pairs initial of step of combining the two and the one like you would in threes. Okay. So it does make it a little bit easier in that sense, but at the same time, it's, you know, much the same uh, puzzle solving experience. It's just, yeah. you're starting yeah. from, from the go rather than that initial step and then proceeding from there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that um, it, it, it'd be easier to just get to one step next to one another whereas if you've got ones and twos and you've got you know you've got double the complexity of trying Mm -hmm. to get those next to one another to combine when you know sometimes you're pulling nothing but ones onto the screen and you really need a two to 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 kick off a cascade down to your highest number in threes um it seems like that's a rather poor design decision to remove that complexity even further from from these games which maybe explains why they needed to have the stones or whatever else uh, added in to to try and mitigate the fact that they'd actually made the game a lot easier. And probably the one that people would be more familiar with was the later clone 2048, which is similar mechanically to uh, 1024, but it removed the stones, making the game much easier. Uh, Mm -hmm. This game was open source and thus has spawned many variants. They they made the, the code for this one freely available for people to create their own versions of either in browser or on handheld devices. And it's, uh, you know, they were allowed to monetize their versions. And so all of a sudden the app store became flooded with just reskinned 2048 games that were all using the same code that were just, that had, you know, pictures of Nicolas Cage's face instead of numbers or uh, my favorite was uh, there's a 2048 clone that where the numbers don't matter that are uh, the numbers are randomly generated from just any you know the, sometimes they're equations sometimes they're like scientific notation sometimes they're negative numbers or imaginary numbers or this and that and so it, it looks mm. all very silly you're just kind of matching the colors at that point but it's uh it's kind of funny to play the game where all the numbers are just randomized but um mm. it became uh, pretty ubiquitous pretty quickly and since yeah. there were uh, since it was so freely available to people for people to iterate on and to create their own variants of you, you got to see 2048 games for pretty much every subject that you can think of uh, you know band logos and uh, super mario and you just anything that you can think of people were making a 2048 version of because it was so easy at the time i i didn't see any of this stuff and it wasn't until afterwards when when this started getting picked up by the news sites 
that um, I paid any attention to it. I remember reading about the ridiculous fishing guys at the time. I think even back then we'd posted uh, one of the stories on the Cana Rinse Facebook page about how much, you know, how they they went to battle with the, the, the sort of the clones and stuff because they were a direct threat to their sort of their model. And I feel that on one hand, you've got like the 1024, which feels a soulless, deliberate attempt to basically just make a fast book out of somebody else's work and a very cynical kind of clone unto itself. And then you've got 2048, which was, I think, a 19-year-old Italian kid who who made this and then obviously didn't charge for anything, made it sort of um, open source and stuff because, he, you know, he, he, for whatever reason. The problem is that he, he did as much damage with that because if you go onto the, like the app store it it just swamps the yeah. app store with yeah. 28 48 clones and so threens is is like it's just buried i mean and in which case then you damage their model the model that you ripped off however mm. you want to be look at it you 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 took their idea and you you ruined you know you attacked their business in whether deliberate or not it, it feels like it, I don't know, like, it's easy to point the finger, but I think uh, the people responsible for this, but I think also it, it comes down to these platform holders have to tighten up on this stuff. I think there, there's movement, very slow movement in that direction. But, you know, this stuff is, is, is a problem for a lot of mobile developers. If you make a game that's successful, guaranteed within, in some cases, within a week or a little more than a week of you releasing your title, there are clones out there that are going to start siphoning your profits, you know. And and we're not, you know, they're not charging the earth for these games. But and and it's I don't know, it's, it's quite disheartening. I can imagine, I can see why they approached having to, you know, I mean, they had to go out. They put their emails out there so that people could see who was first, rather than them being called the clone. Because I thought that that was disgraceful that they were being called the clone of 2048, which is just oh, ridiculous. Yeah. But well, and, and ultimately do? they went as far as creating a free version of, of threes so that people wouldn't think they were the ones ripping people off by charging for something that you could get, quote-unquote, free elsewhere. But, uh, yeah, it's... Um, well, you, you, I mean, to combat ignorance of the marketplace, that that's a difficult thing because you, you see that across the board with many, many different mediums. It's like, you know, people just will not... How do you get that information out there? It's, it's just hard as hell, you know? You rely heavily on social media and, and word of mouth with this stuff. Yeah, it's it's yeah. difficult and, to and get And some any, people just aren't plugged into that. It's literally no. just someone says to them, oh, 2048's this great game. Um, and, you know, they just hear that, assume that that's the original mm. and, uh, and anything else is just copying it. Um, it. It comes to something when... Uh, Ryan, when you said that um, Apple made this made threes their I- iOS game of 2014, it comes to something when my cynical response is, well, they did that as an apology for the fact that their store was flooded with copies and, and these developers just didn't get a fair shot at getting their game out there, which probably isn't true. I'm sure the game has done has done great, but it just feels to me like this game perfectly worthy in my mind of being um you know mobile game of the year when it came out but it just seems like is that apple's is that all they can do to to make it up to to people that their store is just 
um, like any other, this isn't just Apple, but it, like any other, open to uh, this sort of behavior. Uh, Ash of Ulmer posted, uh, there was an article on Eurogamer a mm. while back, so mm. because Google Play had temporarily pulled threes because they'd incorporated 2048 in their tags. So they pulled threes because of that. Yeah, because it was in breach of whatever, and yeah, and then you've got like the you know twenty forty eight saying you don't have to pay for threes anymore, and it's just yeah. like they can get away with that, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's uh, it, yeah. I mean, oh, it didn't take long before Google reinstated the game, but yeah. just the fact that they had to, they went down. I mean, why shouldn't they put twenty forty eight? It is to me that's perfectly acceptable to include that in your tag since they are, you know, they blatantly ripped off your idea well that, that's you... exactly what all these um, games did to threes because if you searched yeah. when, when I was going to, to find the game if you just searched threes it did not come up the, the actual game did not come up all <laughs> these other games did because they had included threes in their tags yeah. or in their description or you know uh, as um, Ryan pointed out for um, 1024 actually its slogan was why pay to play threes which means when you search threes it comes up and it's free, so more people download it, which means it gets pushed further up that search. It, it's a real mess, and you're absolutely right, I think Jay. It, it there's sort of... always been there's always been copycats, and there's always been clones. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, right from the earliest days, it's it's, mm. it's it's something that is you know, and great games have come out of this. But I think it's the sheer speed in which this stuff moves out now, and the fact that it can be incredibly damaging to the people who've put real time heart and soul and effort into what they've done and I, I, you know maybe the, the problem isn't you know maybe the problem is that the platform holders have to sort of tighten up the, the, their rules and regulations and terms and conditions to yeah, that submission sort of stuff. criteria and, and I'm and sure they like will that. in time yeah. if, if yeah. enough people get burnt by this but it's mm. um, I don't know it's not something I, I want to embrace I, I would always prefer to, you know I, I've never touched wood bought one of these type of clones you know or, or, mm. and I guess maybe you, you can think well you're part of the exception in that you always I always think of myself as relatively well informed with that stuff in terms of I'll go and look if there's any inkling that one's a clone I will always try and look for the original because it's always the more interesting you you want to see where the ideas came from and then the only way you're going to do that is to see the ones who did it first you know so I have to a little bit of a confession here in that Gameplay wise, I think I actually kind of like 2048 a little better, which I feel terrible for. But so you should. <laughs> um, I, I know, and it's it's not something that I say proudly, but it's uh, there's something that's very satisfying about um, about stacking all of those numbers in, in such you know perfect rows and and you know then moving <laughs> over to the right and clearing them all at once, and it's it it feels a little bit more rewarding in that way. And maybe that just goes back to threes not working on my phone for the longest time until I upgraded to a newer model. Yeah, sure. That's an understandable situation where you yeah. would go to a, a similar game, but one that works. Right. But, you know, to just call it a clone like it is, but I think that it does uh, it does change a few of the design decisions and it makes it much easier. And it also instates a goal for the game. Like there is mm -hmm. an end game there it doesn't necessarily end at that point but the entire point of the game is to get the 2048 tile and so you have something that you're working towards more than just 
beating your high score, like you have a win status. And so that's kind of neat. Um, And I know that opinions on that kind of go both ways as well. But it is quite a bit easier. And one of the things that Asher said was, when an automated script that alternates pressing up and right and left every hundredth time can beat the game, then, well, it's broken. And, you know, that's something that they they pride themselves on, is making a game that was very mechanically sophisticated, that required actual intentional human thought. And this game did kind of strip that away and made it a much easier experience that a, a computer running a, a program that you could program in, you know, minutes could beat this game. Yeah. Uh, Asher went on to say, the branching of all these ideas can happen so fast nowadays that it seems tiny games like threes are destined to be lost in the underbrush of copycats, me too's and iterators. This fast speed up of technological and creative advance is the lay of the land here. That's life. That's how we get to where we're going, standing on each other's shoulders. We want to celebrate iteration on our ideas and ideas in general. It's great. 2048 is a simpler, easier form of threes that is worth investigation, but piling on top of us right when the majority of threes players haven't had time to understand all that we've done with our game systems and why we took 14 months to make it, well... That makes us sad. And ultimately, that's what it comes down to, is that I think that 2048 is an interesting game, and I think that it's worth time and investigation, as as Asher was saying, looking into it for what it is. But the fact that it took money away from the people who actually worked hard to create the framework that it it was developed from is troubling. And the fact that it just kind of overshadowed Three's legacy almost is um just it gives me kind of a sick feeling you know it's just it's an uncomfortable situation but um like we said um threes did go free to play eventually and so they helped kind of combat that but you know it it took quite a while for it to go free to play and maybe it was too little too late i think the telling thing here is that oftentimes with when when we cover games and we want to talk about say a sequel or or a spiritual successor or something like that it'll be a, a single sentence mention at the end and maybe we'll cover this game at some point in the future or talking about something we've previously covered that's relevant in this case there is no way we could have talked about threes without having a pretty large portion of the conversation dedicated to 2048 and and likewise there's almost no situation I could imagine where we want to or we're likely to cover uh, 2048 in its own cane rinse because it, you can't say threes without talking about this game and vice versa. Um, and I think that's where it's kind of blurred the lines that it muscled in so hard and so quickly on on this game um, and the way in which these clones went after threes. That that to me, and that's what what Jay's talking about with having better um, regulation at the platform holders end. The problem is if the platform holders aren't the ones losing out on money, they're never gonna see the need to 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 reform that stuff. Yeah, I mean, we we may we may very well see some real movement in this area quite reasonably soon because mm-hmm. there's a big thing recently with Apple uh, malware with um, a lot of. Chinese-based apps mm. using Xcode Ghost, which is a, a like a a kind of free version of uh, of the the tools they use to make a lot right. of these apps. And there was some inherent malware with this stuff, and it's infected a lot of 
it's infected a lot of users out there mm. and so there may well very well be some scene uh, some tightening up of this sort of these kind of apps appearing on the marketplace and stuff right. so you know maybe they'll need some kind of auth- authentication or something I, I don't know but it you know it wouldn't surprise me if we see some movement in there because there's been yeah. a lot of people just recently got stung by it so at least an extra hoop for um some some companies that um, yeah and it, it may, whether it will make any difference to these yeah. kind of clone games and stuff it, it may very well just see it, that might just be um a sort of a spin-off of that because it'll it'll mean that People won't be using pirated versions of, of software to make these things and stuff. Some yeah. who knows. That's right. And speaking of also potentially hurting Servo's financial prospects is that that this game was highly pirated as well, which is something that you don't necessarily see a lot of on the iOS App Store. A little bit more on Android, but uh, iOS devices tend to be fairly well locked down unless you were to jailbreak it. But uh, I guess um, Servo was saying that 93% of players in China were using pirated copies of this game. Now, originally a $3 game, $2.99. I don't know what it was priced at in the European markets, but at least it was $2.99 over here. Uh, in the UK, it was one ninety nine. Okay. I'm not sure about um, about Europe, but yeah, it so was one ninety nine. They didn't double down on that said. three pun that they were going for on this side. <laughs> Uh, but it did go free to play, or at least they put up a separate free to play option, a uh, second game that is what is it called? Threes free or something like that? Uh, That's exactly in June what it's called. Of yeah, 2015. Yeah. And they uh, should have just called it Three to Play. <laughs> <laughs> Asher said, keeping such an accessible game behind a paywall always felt like a misstep. And. Uh, to a to a degree, I kind of agree and disagree with that. Um, the the new version of the game does have some free to play type paywall mechanics in it. Uh, each game requires credits, which recharge over time, or you can earn more credits by watching advertisements, and that's how they are able to monetize that one. Yeah. Or you can go into a menu that will allow you to pay $3 and remove all of those anyways. So you can unlock the full game essentially. Right, right. Just And I like when free-to-play games give you that option to just pay money and get the game as it would have been marketed elsewhere. Yeah, it, it's more kind of like a uh, it's more like a generous demo, uh, I like to think of it as, rather than a uh, like the final stop for threes players. Like this is something free that people can download And that's one of the things that's always frustrated me about the App Store is that I'll recommend something like Threes and say like, oh, this game is great. Like you have to give it a shot, Uh, you know, download it. It's wonderful. It's definitely worth your time. And people look at it and say like, oh, I don't know, $3. That's a little (laughs) like I'm not made of money. It's like, no, come on. It's it's not that much money. You can trust me. I know what I'm talking about. Like you're going to enjoy this. But the fact that it's not free is such a huge barrier for a lot of people. It's like they don't buy games that aren't free on their handheld devices. So Yeah, it was always the big deal with the Xbox Live Arcade demo mm. versions was that you could always get a demo of it. Yeah, yeah. For free. So Yeah. No, I, I get what um Asher means when he says keeping it behind the paywall. Um but I absolutely agree with you. I would always want the ability to pay the whatever the full price would have been to especially in this case where it's not just ads that are there it's ads with a credit system as well so you yeah. have to you know have to always have a credit available to play it it's just no I'd, I'd prefer if i end up as josh said if you end up with 20 minutes to wait for a train i don't want to 
only be able to play for 10 minutes and then have run out of credits. I can only assume the people moaning that this are, are not console gamers. That's all <laughs> yeah, I mean. that's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just because, like, I mean, it's been the main like thing for me is like occasionally I'll jump onto the, you know, usually pick up a news story that's talking about, you know, the latest, you know, iPad or iPhone game that's come out. I mean, the last one I, I picked up was um, Paco Echo. And, you know, and it's just like, they're like ridiculously cheap, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like a quid or, you know, a £1.50, £1.49 or something. And you're like, really? Like how, yeah. you know, like a Mars bar cost me <laughs> like 70p, you know, and it's just yeah. like, what am, am I really going to moan about yeah. that? It's like, well, obviously, obviously there, there are some people for whom that. Well, there obviously are. And I wonder if those people go out on a Saturday night and pay a fiver for a pint of beer or, you know, I don't know how much <laughs> is a packet of cigarettes these days, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, do you drink, do you smoke? Do you, then do not moan about like a couple of quid on a video <laughs> on these kind of games. It's it's like put some perspective. C- certainly on for your... people who are used to paying, you know, forty pounds, sixty dollars for a console oh, God, game. Oh yeah. It's yeah. yeah. As far as a gaming budget, the likes that we probably all have, um, these games don't even scratch the surface. A loaf of bread costs one pound thirty. <laughs> it's like you know, I'll do without bread if need be. I'd rather have like you know threes or something i'll get more use out of that than a piece you know than bread which goes moldy after about sort of five days (laughs) one of the things that asher explains is one of the reasons he didn't want to do a free-to-play model eventually or at the very beginning was that uh, he believes that traditional free-to-play models make players think like how much can i get away with uh, how much can i play without paying for the game which puts the consumer and the developer goals in direct opposition to one another. And it gives them kind of an adversarial yeah. role to the developer of the game, which is yeah. not the type of relationship that you want to foster. Yeah, which is exactly what um, the the games that have given the, the moniker free to play a bad name um, are the ones that it feels like there's a manipulation or a sense that the people making the game are trying to uh, cheat their way to either getting money from you directly or or forcing you to to watch adverts in order to be able to play the game etc so yeah i absolutely get what he means by that um and and maybe the solution to that is just finding a way to do that but always give an option for people who want to pay the money to to have an out um and ultimately whenever i talk about or write about free to play games like i always list the price as the amount of money that they're asking to basically make it a usable game like an unlimited use game like you would get from a retail copy so like uh, mm-hmm. alpha bear is a five dollar game threes is a three dollar game uh, brawlhalla is a twenty dollar game like this is how much it costs to own the game mm-hmm. uh, you know rather yeah. than just consisting or um, yeah persisting with this demo that you'd be playing the stripped back experience on but I mean, for some people, for people who are just kind of uh, into a just one game on the subway or whatever, it's uh, it could be quite useful, and maybe they'll oh, be happy yeah. with uh, mm-hmm. just going with the free version, and it might even inspire them to to go on and uh, throw a little money servos way. All right, let's move over to our community and see what they have uh, contributed. Uh, we have a forum on the main website. You can go to com slash forum. And every week we'll be posting a thread in which we ask for contributions about the 
uh, following week's podcast recording, and we will read uh, at least most of those. We try to read through them all, but sometimes we're a little um, overloved. <laughs> uh, or you can uh, email your submissions to podcast at com, and we will read those on the show as well. Just to get some other opinions and sometimes more uh, positive or negative, we're happy to read either. They are both valid opinions. All right, uh, Sean Thomas says... I've had threes on my Android for a while now, ever since I read a piece about how several other games had ripped it off. I like it a fair bit, but I think my favorite mobile puzzler still dropped seven, though I dislike the recent makeover that the title had. Where it comes into its own for me is that firstly, I can play it whilst listening to music or reputable podcasts. I like this game's soundtrack, but far prefer my mobile games to be playable on mute after those initial hours. So Josh isn't alone on that one. (laughs) Secondly, I can play it with one hand, which is a key factor given the tube I take to work rarely has free seats. After several months of solid play, I thought I'd hit a wall with the game and had never been able to get over 4,000 before. However, upon replaying it for this podcast write-up, I smashed that record and got over 7,700, so consider my interest peaked once more. James, would you like to read the next one? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, Alex79UK frequent podcast contributor says this game did nothing for me at all i downloaded it after hearing david turner going on about it on joypod and just found it to be one of the most plain boring puzzle games i've ever played i don't mind a good puzzler now and then but i just didn't get this i mean i understood it the game mechanics how it worked i just didn't find it fun at all i wasn't that great at it which may not have helped and i really hate to not be able to find a single positive about a game but this just left me completely cold sorry which is completely valid, especially for these types of puzzle games. If you don't have those uh, feelings of initial success, it can really have a really struggle to hook you in and, and get you invested. So yeah, thank absolutely. you for that, Alex79UK. And Jay, would you like to read from uh, Gallo Pinto? I played Threes on my iPhone right around the time it came out, and it was probably my favorite iPhone game of all time. I do most of my gaming on commutes, so I spend a lot of my time with my Vita and 3DS. But there have been very few phone games that I've enjoyed to stick with for any length of time. Threes was the first game to do that for me. The gameplay was pretty easy to get your head around, but quite challenging to master. It lends itself very well to a just one more game mentality. As engaging as the gameplay was though, it was the game's charming presentation that really kept me coming back. I don't know how many hours I've spent listening to the one song it has, but I still find myself humming it to myself. I crack up every time I hear a hello or sup from the little blocks. I'm a middle school teacher, ages 11 to 14, and most of my students have smartphones. For about a month, 2048 was really popular with my students. And when I pointed out that it was a rip-off of threes and then showed them the original... On my phone, it led to some interesting discussion on how kids at that age see piracy and cloning. Spoiler alert, 13-year-olds tend not to care. (laughs) What I found most interesting was, for me, Three's production values and charm were one of the things that I most loved about the game, and 2048 has none of that. However, most of my students preferred the minimalist design of 2048 and the fact that it was an easier game. I think it's really unfortunate that 2048 got so popular off of the hard work of 3's developers. But I think that the comparison of the two games shows a bit of a generation gap. 
I grew up playing video games on consoles and preferred threes. The game that takes a long time to master and has a wonderful as wonderful production values. My students grew up playing three to play mobile games and they mostly preferred 2048. The game with an extremely simple interface that you can master quickly then move on. That's a really interesting way to put it, that it's a generation gap that really separates these two titles. I had never really thought about it that way before. Part of that's due to um, teenagers and, and kids who've got phones now. They are very used to the, the notion of free-to-play and having adverts in games and uh, mm. various currency systems, in-game currency, I mean, uh, such as credits to be able to play, etc., Whereas for us, we're kind of used to certainly, well, I shouldn't speak for you guys, but I'm kind of used to pay for the game, play the game, yep. you know, that's that's the way you do it. Um, and so even the notion of paying um, £2, $3 for, for threes probably is enough to to be a restriction. Um, and when you're that age, I suppose that sort of money probably isn't massive, but it, it's just enough, especially given you'd have to buy it uh, with... Um, essentially a credit card on your phone etc or whatever which they may not have access to so um, i think free tends to win out over everything else it's very generous i was just going to say they suffer from adhd or something (laughs) (laughs) let's move on to our threes word reviews that is every uh, week before we record the show usually on the day of recording we'll tweet out something from our at canon rinse twitter feed that asks for some three word reviews And uh, today, it's never been more appropriate since uh, the game that we're talking about. Anyways, um, we'll move right on to Twitter here. Uh, Starting with Peter Mark Ingalls says, meditative math movements. Uh, Like a mutnik says, charming, clever numbers. John Niuta says, addictive as crack. Paddy Stardust says, addicted, needed freehab. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I love the puns. More puns, people, please. This is this is wonderful. I'm shaking my head. <laughs> <laughs> with three words, how, what's the worst you can really do with a pun? Like, the, you kind of minimizes the damage. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, charming to rate. Anyways, we'll move on to our summaries for the game. Uh, Jay, would you like to sum up your overall experience and whether or not you'd recommend players check out threes these days? Yeah, yeah, I, I would recommend it, and I would recommend it over the other clones as well. Make sure you search for threes exclamation mark, and um, yeah, it's worth. Well, it's it is worth the one ninety nine if you decide to pay for it. I, I know I've never had any issues with that whatsoever. But um, given the fact that it, you know they, the the basic model is a free to play model, it's it's there. It doesn't cost anything. Try it, please. I enjoyed it. I, I I think it's a great example of of thoughtful design, great music, um, great sound design in general. Even for such a, a sort of almost pass you by kind of mobile game for many people, it's, it's just there's so much heart and soul gone into it. It's worth investigating. If you've never played it before, check it out. Like it couldn't be easier to get hold of it. Um, you know, it's available on everything apart from PS4 and Vita these days. But, you know, who knows? Maybe one day. But no, I, I, I think it's great and it's it's worth checking out. Yeah, I'll go ahead and double down on that and say that it's at least worth trying the free-to-play version. If you don't get along well with it, then, you know, you can pass it right by. But I think for what it is, it's a, 
a charming little production, has some excellent music, has some really lovely animation for as little as there is going on on screen. They, they did a, a quite a number with the um, with the visuals that, you know, through the history and the development of the game, we saw them uh, change up quite a bit and refine until it became this, this minimalist, uh, very striking, very beautiful, and very unique uh, blend of of kind of traditional animation and traditional card games. I would also recommend going back and reading through, or at least skimming through, some of the three mails that the development team has posted on the on the threes blog, because it's just a fascinating tale about them developing the game and then reacting to all the clones and just the entire process of all of this taking place. Just like really cool to watch it all happen in front of you. And, uh, and, and you can even play through some of those earlier iterations and earlier demos that they had been passing between the three of them. And it's, uh, it's a really fascinating thing that I, I just was, you know, kind of hooked into my seat while I was researching the show and getting to read through all those earlier notes and emails and stuff. It's just, uh, so it's all, it's three mail, all one word, all spelled out and, uh, definitely worth checking out. But the game itself, I would, uh, is, I would say one of the better iOS games, even still deserves to be played with headphones on, or at least in a situation where you can hear the music because the music's great gameplays, um, minimalist, but it's, it's very simple, very deep mechanics. And, uh, I would also go on to say that give 2048 a look just so you can kind of compare what the two did and draw your own conclusions about the concessions that 2048 made for simplicity and maybe some of the accessibility things that threes might have given up in trying to make it a more complex game. And so as a direct comparison between those that have such different design philosophies, it makes for an interesting case comparison. All right, James, what about you? I don't tend to think of myself as a, a massive mobile phone and tablet gamer. Not necessarily um, uh, portable gaming, but just, just mobile phone. Um, but one genre that I particularly like are, um, it's not even really a defined genre, but, but puzzle games where there's not a massive um, time or, or reaction-based uh, requirement you know you can just relax and play and if you want to put put the phone down without pausing anything uh, and and talk to someone or, or be interrupted etc um so games like uh, ellis drop seven shibuya hundreds are all kind of um pertinent to it's kind of a series of games that resulted in uh threes being just right at the pinnacle of of those for me. So if any of those four games kind of rings a bell with you and you haven't tried threes, which seems unlikely at this point, given how well-known threes is, yeah, absolutely, threes is is highly recommended from from me. Uh, I I love, even without knowing the background, I I can see why this game took 14 months of just thinking about and, and tweaking to get there because when you look at the aesthetic and the little quirks and the fact that this simplicity is so often not simple to, to, uh, to find. So the fact that you've got this, uh, this great aesthetic, the music and, and these little quirks, like the faces on the, um, the tiles, etc., and, um, the way that they interact with one another all around this really core, simple, central mechanic, um, that does have depth due to the, the rules and restrictions they've put on it. Um, 
the fact that I can look at that and say, I can see why there's 14 months of these three experienced, clearly very smart developers, um, or creators rather, um, why that amount of, of time went into this game. For, for what then other people have been able to churn out something in a week, a month, very, very quickly that approximates it. Um, but I, I think from what I've heard, and to be fair, I haven't played any of these clones. I, I don't necessarily have the interest, but I, I like the fact that I can see that 14 months, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Um, I can see why there's a refinement there. And looking through looking through the, new, the notes that you gave us, um, Ryan, uh, and and that story on the on the blog I, just fills in all those blanks as to the, seeing the stepping stones, which is just fascinating. Um, just from from having an interest in the development, so this this game uh, had me in its clutches once Sinan started posting some high scores, and um, it, it's always a measure of I, I'm never going to beat Sinan. Let's face it, but uh, Sinan Koba, I'll, I will always keep an eye out for any puzzle game he's on. If I can get within, as I did in this, within sort of ten points of his score, I'll feel like I've done pretty well, and uh, that put a big smile on my face earlier this year. Uh, and I've no no uh, need to stop playing it just yet. I don't think. Excellent. And Josh, would you round us out with your opinion on this one? I don't really have much to add. I just think Freeze is an excellent example of a game that focuses on a single mechanic, but manages to create uh, a lot of depth from that simple mechanic and. Um, and through that, they've created something that has been a game that I find myself constantly playing. Um, it's weird because I, I don't think of myself as loving Freeze, but it, I, I, I've, I've played Freeze more than games that I would say that I love. So that's an addiction. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Is it? Yeah. Is it? Is it really love, or is it just? <laughs> some kind of weird addiction but yeah i i i i i do think freeze is worth everyone's time um it's just become a state you know a game that i'm constantly going back to whenever i'm on public tra- transport or what have you it's just it's a timeless piece of design and i think everyone should experience it Excellent. Thank you very much for that. I, we've come to the end of the issue here, and so it just leaves me, Ryan Heyman, to thank Joshua Garrity, James Carter, and Jay Taylor for joining me in this one. And next time, we'll be moving from threes to a very prominent four. In issue 197, where do you go after finishing the fight? Find out in our discussion of Halo 4. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.